as Kevin said earlier, it is great to, to come and to worship together as a family. And we are going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 3 this morning. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through verse 13, uh, just so that we can get context. And the reason I brought up Kevin is, is I was over praying and preparing for my sermon earlier, and Kevin was gone last week, and it was, it was amazing just to see him and to be encouraged uh, that my brother in Christ was back. And, and there is a, a profound truth, and, and that's going to be pointed out in this, this text this morning. There's a profound truth that, that in the church, the wisdom of God is displayed. There is no place like this place. And I say that generally of, of Redeemed South Bay, but, it, but it's more than that. I mean, we know that there are other churches that are gathering, that are, that are honoring God, and, and those are, are, are truly probably wonderful places too, but there's no place like home when, when you know people and, and you come to people. And it, sadly, it reminds me of, of the, the show Cheers, right? <laughs> you know, that, that you... You have a place that, that you can go to that everybody knows your name and, and you can talk with them and you can pray with them. And, and, and I love the, the book of Ephesians because it's really, it's really showing us these, these doctrinal truths that bring us to the, the place uh, where we are in awe and, and worship of God. And soon we'll be looking at how that has played out in, in our lives. So go ahead and Look with me at Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 13, and as I said, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 13 this morning. This is the Word of God. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him, so that I, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, we come before you this morning, and 
Lord, I just pray that your people would be, would have hearts that are prepared to receive your word, that they would know these truths, that, that the manifold wisdom of God would be on display as, as I proclaim these, these truths from your word. Father, I pray that you would give me uh, strength, and Lord, that you would use me as a weak vessel to proclaim your glorious truths. Lord, we thank you again for your church. What a, a wonderful place it is. Lord, I pray that you would be magnified in our presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to begin by asking you a question, and it's this. Do you, do you ever get sidetracked while you pray? Do you ever get sidetracked while you pray? And, and I think we can all say yes to some extent. We, we begin to pray, and, and we want to pray, and yet our minds go off, and, and we start thinking about other things, things that we really don't want to think about. And we begin to pray, and, and our stomach growls, and, and, or there's a knock on the door, and while we're praying, we, we get interrupted, not only by people, but by other things. And, and the reason that I bring that up this morning is that I believe that that is what Paul is experiencing here in this passage that I just read. No, not that, not that Paul is deficient in his prayers, but that he departs from what he is about to pray. And I want you to see that before we move to our, our text. Look at verse 1. He says, it says this, it says, for this reason. And when we see things like that, for this reason, we know that what, what Paul is getting at is what he has been talking about prior to him saying this. He says, for this reason. funny, sometimes I don't hear it. <laughs> How's that? Okay, testing. <laughs> testing. Is that better? No? For this reason. Thank you, Joe. Okay, let me, let me get my uh, concentration back. What was I talking about? I was talking about distractions. <laughs> talking about distractions. Okay, I think this is a, a perfect illustration. Dennis, you talked about it earlier, didn't you? When we look at verse 1, Paul begins with these three words, for this reason. And what Paul is, is referring to is, he's referring back to what he has been saying, really in, in chapters 1 and 2. He's saying, for, for everything that I've already said, he says, for this reason, that all, going back to chapter 1, that all of the spiritual blessings are yours in Christ 
And in chapter 2, we see that it says that we were dead in our, in our trespasses and sins, that we have been made alive with Christ, that we were saved by grace through faith, that we are His workmanship, that even though we were separated, we have been brought near, that we have been united in one man, both Jews and Gentiles, that we all have one access to the Father. And so Paul, after telling us all those things, says this, for this reason, I want to pray. And you say, where, where does it say that in our passage? Well, it doesn't say it there. It says it in, look down at verse 14. And because in verse 14, he says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees before the Father. And, and what I think Paul has done here is, in, in verse 1, he, 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 he begins with that same statement in, in, in verse 14, but, but he gets sidetracked, and he, and he wants to, to go back to, to speaking of those truths that, that he's already mentioned. And I believe that what we're seeing here is Paul preparing to pray in verse 1, and he, yet he pauses, and he he and inserts this, this parenthetical statement, rehearsing and expanding on what he has just declared. That Paul, the, the human author, is, is moved by the Spirit, and he inserts these verses here for our benefit. That these verses we see, what we see is the manifold wisdom of God on display. And, and thinking about being interrupted in prayer, there, wouldn't you want to be interrupted by these things that Paul's interrupted by? Wouldn't you want your prayers to be, to be brought, like you're, you're beginning to pray and all of a sudden you realize the glorious truths of, of who Christ is and, and what he's accomplished? And wouldn't that just want, lead you even more to say, I want to pray even more, but I want to praise even more. You know, in these verses we see the manifold wisdom of God. And when, when we, we think of wisdom... I like J.I. Packer's definition, and I got this from Knowing God. He, he says this, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and the highest goal together with the uh, uh, surest means of attaining it. But I want us to think about that in, in respect to God. Wisdom is the, the power to see. Well, God sees everything, doesn't he? God knows everything. And he says, and it's the inclination to choose. God always chooses what is good and right. And then he says, the best and the highest gold. God always knows what is best for us. He always knows what the, the, the best thing is for us. And then he says, together with the, the surest means of attaining, because God is omnipotent, he can definitely carry it out. So when, so when we think of the wisdom of God, he is able to do what he pleases. But there's another word in our, in our passage that we see, and it's this. It's, it's the word manifold, and it's in verse 10. The manifold, and the dictionary defines manifold as this, of many kinds, numerous and varied, having numerous parts, elements, features, and forms. And Paul uses this word, and, and there's no evidence 
There's no evidence that this word has ever been used before. No evidence outside of Scripture, no evidence inside of Scripture that this particular word is used. And because Paul is actually combining two words. One that means much, and the other that means many various rich colors. And so Paul takes these two words, and, and Paul's, the second word that Paul actually takes is actually the word that, that the Greek New Testament translates for, for Joseph's coat, the multicolored coat. And it's interesting in, in, in my reading that most scholars believe that that's probably not the best translation from the, uh, from the Hebrew into Greek, but it's, it's multifaceted. And and according to Harold Honer in his commentary, it has the idea of most varied or, or many-sided. And what that makes me think about, and, and when we think of the manifold wisdom of God, it, it makes me think of, of a diamond. That is the word that that Paul is applying here. That, that, that a diamond, if you think about a diamond, it has many different facets, and it's, it's cut in such a way, and it's, it's beautiful and glorious, and depending on how you look at it, it looks different. But when Paul is declaring th- these things, I, I want you to look for just a second at, at verse 7. Because in verse 7, Paul tells us that he has been given a, a, a ministry, and then... In a sudden outburst, he declares in verse 8, though I am the very least of all the saints. I'm the very least of all the saints. Paul Paul felt that he did not deserve it. He didn't deserve the the ministry that he he had been given. And really, that, that is not untrue of Paul. Paul didn't deserve it. It was by God's grace that he was given this ministry. Paul is a man who has, has come to realize that just how great a sinner he, he really is. As we grow in grace, and I have found this to be true of myself, the longer that we are Christians, the one thing that, that we find out is that we are far greater sinners than we ever thought we were. You know, I often will... We'll talk about this with, with my family and my community group. That the, the longer I've been a Christian, I've been a Christian for 35 years uh, coming up in June. And the longer that I've been a, a Christian, I, I have come to realize that, that I am a far greater sinner than I ever thought. I mean, when I go back to those early days of being Christians, when I, when I knew those really great sins were washed away, I thought, I am so good. <laughs> And now, 35 years later, I realize more and more of how great a sinner that I actually am. And so God's grace abounds to me. And I realize that everything that I have is, is, is because of, of, of God's grace. And as Paul thinks about his role as a minister, he understands that it was solely based on the grace of God, that God unveiled this truth, that this grace of the gospel that was a message not just to the Jews but to the Gentiles also is the manifold wisdom of God revealed. And so I want to look at at four points from this passage 
regarding the manifold wisdom of God. And the first one is this, that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through Christ. The manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the person and, and the work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed in Paul's preaching of the unsearchable riches of Christ, the wisdom of God sending his, his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent his Son, and he did not spare him, but be, he freely delivered him up for all of us. And we just spent the month of December considering the gift of the incarnate Son, thinking about the incarnation that the second person of the Trinity, the, the unsearchable riches of Christ, that he was both God and, and man, two natures in, in one person. We looked at the Son of Man came to serve and to save. We looked at the Son of, uh, of God came to give us sonship. We looked at that we have become rich because he became poor. That he is the, we looked at, the fact that he is the grace of God incarnate. We looked at he, that he is the God who is with us. And when you think about these truths, we, we marvel at, at who Christ is and that God sent his son into the world, this world that, that hates him. And he comes into this world so Paul can say, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Excuse me, I have to put down the microphone. <laughs> now, he made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, he came so that we could have a a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. When you look at Jesus' life, what he, what he did, how he lived a perfect and, and sinless life, how he, what he taught, that he gave himself on our behalf as a, as a substitute for, for, for sinners. And we, we marvel. The manifold wisdom of God. I mean, when you think about it, when... when when you look at everything that has happened in history, it, it points what? Back to the cross. The, whatever Christ did, he did, and he did so knowing that this would be accomplished from the foundation of the world. That God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. Now we see this, that there's the unsearchable riches of Christ, and Isaiah says this, that yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And understanding that, that, that the way of forgiveness was through the Father pouring out his wrath upon his own Son, that in order for us to be forgiven, in order for us to be reconciled to God, in order for us to be brought into the household of God, Jesus would have to, to bear our sins. There was no other way. And Paul is saying that if you want to know the manifold wisdom of God, you, you need to look to Christ. He is the wisdom of God. 
I mean, Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he, he says this, and it's so clear, it's, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 24, he says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I mean, isn't that an amazing statement that it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe? For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I mean, the amazing truth of, of this one facet of the manifold wisdom of God that, that God had, had given his, his one and only Son— I mean, we marvel at that. When, when I talked about that diamond, it's, it's like a diamond. It's, it's a jewel. And, and sometimes I think the longer we're Christians, we, we kind of get numb to it. We forget how amazing it is that, that God incarnate came. He lived on this earth, and he died for our sins. And so first, the, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the person and work of Christ. But also, secondly, the, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the church. Look with me at verse 10. He says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You know, Paul is saying that this manifold wisdom of God is made through the church. And, you know, just think about that, that you and I are, are here right now. And the way that we are, are living and acting and, and loving one another and caring for one another displays to who? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places, the manifold wisdom of God. How we live, how we live displays God's wisdom. What he's taught, what is he taught, who, who is this for? He's talking about angels and, and archangels and, and possibly even fallen angels. You remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, he mentions that Jesus went to, to preach to those who were in prison. And, and what, what Peter is referring to is that, that Christ, after his resurrection, proclaimed to those fallen angels who were in prison to these principalities and powers, his victory that he won in raising from the dead. And Paul will later say in chapter 6, verse 12 of Ephesians, which we'll get at in probably in a, a couple months, he says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have to understand that there's there's a cosmic realm that is outside of us, and, and, and we don't know exactly where they're at and what, what they're doing, but, but this is a reality. I remember as a, as a young believer 
reading a couple novels. They were Christian novels, and I wouldn't use them for their, their doctrinal purposes. <laughs> uh, one was called this, this Present Darkness, and the other was called Piercing the Darkness. And, and I read these books, and, and it, they, they talked about these angels and demons, and, and, and they're in, we, we can't see them. And, and one of the problems is that they talked about the, the demons being with talons and like bat wings and things like that. Well, we know that that's not true. But I think the one thing that, that, we, that this can help us understand is that, that we are, are not alone. That we are not alone. That there, there are principalities and powers, rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And as they observe the church, they can see the manifold wisdom of God displayed in us. That God is bringing people from every tongue and tribe and nation, and he's uniting them. I mean, just remember what, what Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 15 about the angels. He says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who, who repents. I mean, when, when people come to Christ, there's angelic beings who are, who, who are, are rejoicing. And just think about these heavenly beings when they see the extent of God's love for human beings. Because we have to realize that God didn't send his son to, to redeem fallen angels. But these angels look and wonder at, at what God has done for fallen human beings. I mean, just, just remember at Jesus' birth, the angels, what did they declare? They, they came and they, they shone brightly and it says, the glory, they, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so you see these angelic beings being manifested to these shepherds, and it's an amazing thing, but if we could just imagine that there, there are other instances where, where these types of things are probably happening. I mean, you could just imagine the, the crucifixion. You, ha you, you have to imagine the angels and fallen angels watching as, as the Son of God is crucified. And as he's nailed to the cross and as they mock him and they spit on him. You could just imagine the, the fallen angels in, in some way rejoicing of what they think is a victory. But then you have three days later, you have the Son of God rising from the dead, probably to the, the shouts and, and worship and praise of the archangels and the, and the holy angels. And so when you, you think about the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God, that God knew how to rescue mankind, and, and God knew what needed to be done to accomplish it. 1 Peter chapter 12, Peter briefly spoke about this. He Peter's speaking about sinners being saved, and he's, he's speaking out the prophets who had proclaimed the coming of Christ. And he says it, it, it was revealed to them, meaning the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And he, he concludes with these words, things into which angels long to look. Brothers and sisters, we, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you have been redeemed. Angels can't be redeemed. 
Brothers and sisters, when we, when we think about the things that we do in the, in the church, angels marvel at what God has done through bringing us and uniting us in, into one new man. And it is through the church that these angels see the, the manifold wisdom of God, and it is through the church and how we live with one another, how we love one another, that the manifold wisdom of God is, is displayed. Jews and Gentiles, people from every nation, tribe, tongue, ethnicity, brought together. I mean, the, the world today wants to say that, that there's, there's really no hope for, for all the race things that are going on. The answer is the church. The answer is the church. And sadly, sadly, we are living in a period of time where many people are, are giving up on the church. Even many professing Christians are, are giving up on the church. They, they don't really feel a, a necessity to be part of the church. And, you know, people really who, who just simply see the church as a, a place to go to, to get fed rather than participating. Kind of like a, a movie theater where you can go and, and, and you can come and you can walk in and you can, you can just simply walk out and you can go home and say, well, was it good today or was it bad today? That's not what, that's not what the church is. I'm not saying that sermons shouldn't be good. <laughs> But what I am saying is that church is more than, than preaching. It is preaching. You know, there are so many, so many things that, that we need to, to be reminded of, that God is, is doing something. And, and people simply don't have a good understanding of, of how important the, the church is. But remember that it is Jesus who said, I I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is what, that is what Jesus is doing. He is building his church, and it is Jesus, who, who, uh, it is Jesus that loves his church and, and gives himself for the church. And people say, I, I, I love Jesus, but I really don't love Christians. That, that, that can't be, can it? No, Jesus, if you love Jesus, you're going to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. No, and we've all heard those, those kind of statements, but there's, today there's a, a move, and it is so easy to just simply get your, your sermons by podcast or, or off the Internet, and, and you don't really have to participate. And, and some of the... I listen to sermons... <laughs> by podcast. <laughs> I listen to, to sermons on, on the internet. I'm not saying that that is not something that, w that we can do, but, but it's more than that. It's coming together as, as the people of God and to find wisdom, to, to find wisdom. And when, when you look for wisdom, you, you find it in, in what God has instituted and what God has instituted is the church itself. I understand that there may be reasons that, that some people cannot attend, but let me say this. If, if you can't or, or, or you are not attending, 
you're missing your opportunity to display the manifold wisdom of God. I remember Acts 2.42 says this, they were, they were devoted. They were devoted to, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and, and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I love what it says. It says, and awe came upon every soul. It wasn't just the preaching that gave them awe. It was, it was the, the life together that gave them awe. You can, and you could probably say maybe the, maybe the church isn't that important to me, or the, maybe the church isn't that important to you, but it's important to God. And, and from, from our passage, I want us to see that, that God's wisdom can be found in the church as, as the church fellowships. As the church lives out the, the one another's, as the church operates in, in the functions that God has given us with elders and, and deacons, we're, we're, since God has declared these things to be, there's wisdom in them. Now, that is where wisdom can, of God can be found, and we find it in, in Bible studies, men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies, in our community groups and in fellowship outside after service. Now, God's great plan and God's great purpose is that he says, I will, I will build my church. So we've seen that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed in the, in the work of, or the person of Christ, but also in the, the church. But thirdly, we see the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through prayer. Look at verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Do you realize that prayer is one of the chief ways we glorify God because it shows our faith in him? This word boldness, uh, in his commentary, Honer describes it as it conveys an, an openness, speaking freely, concealing nothing. In, our, in the present context, he says, believers in Christ speak freely, boldly, openly to the Father. Do you remember that before the, the crucifixion, as part of the Old Covenant, the high priest could do what? He, he could go into the, the, holy, the, the most holy place once a year. He could approach God once a year. He, he could go in there, and he went in, and he, he immediately would, would come out after he, he had done his work. And, but we remember at the, the crucifixion of Christ, when, when Christ gave up his spirit, the, the veil was torn from top to bottom. Only what that did is it gave us access. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, for through him, meaning Jesus, both we, both Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, one way we experience this truth is by, by coming before him and, and, and praying. We seek him, and we, we follow him, and we, we obey him, and we honor him. But we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. 
fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says this. It says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And one of the, the greatest encouragements for us is that we have the freedom to pray anytime in any place. It's a freedom given to us by God, and He alone controls who has access to Him. And we have access to Him by, by having a relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ. And one of the great benefits of the gospel is that, that we can come to Him in prayer, and we don't have to carry the burdens that we, we have alone. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon Him, knowing that He cares for you. That you can cast your fear of, of, of your financial difficulties on, on Him, knowing that He is your provider. That, that you can cast your, your loneliness on Him, knowing that He will never leave you nor forsake you. That you can cast your, your sins upon Him, knowing that, he, that the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. That you can... Cast all of your sorrows on him, knowing that, that Christ has borne your griefs and, and carried your sorrows. That you can cast your, your anger and, at injustices on him, knowing that vengeance is his and that he will repay. I mean, prayer is an, a, is an amazing thing that we can come before God. And it's a way that God... Sometimes you need two hands. And it's a way for us to, to come to God and, and to seek Him in our, in our time of need. And I know that in our church we have a number of people who are, are facing various difficulties. And I'm sure that there are many more that, that I don't know, more than I could even guess, but... But brothers and sisters, God has, has an open-door policy for us. You know, I have an open-door policy at work. <laughs> People can come into my office anytime. Guess what? It's hard. <laughs> People wanting to talk to me all the time, it's hard to get work done. But guess what? God doesn't have that problem. God is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent. He's the only wise God who can, can hear his people's prayers and who can answer his people's prayers. You know, Jesus taught us not to worry but to trust the Father who delights in giving his, his children good gifts. You know, so when you're, when you're going through difficulties, remember that, that God is the one that we can draw near to with confidence to the throne of grace, that we might find mercy and grace in our time of need. Martin Luther wrote these words. He says what? A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood, 
of mortal ills prevailing. Isn't that a great truth? That God conquers all of the trials that we go through. That we can approach this God who is a, a mighty fortress. That he is the sovereign one who is wise and loving. Our, the amazing manifold wisdom of, of God is displayed through our prayers because it demonstrates our faith that we trust him. The people that, that aren't praying, the people that aren't praying are, are showing their distrust. Brothers and sisters, let us be people who are, are praying and, and seeking God because when we pray, it, it shows that, that we trust him and we believe him and we honor him. It brings us to our last point. The manifold wisdom of God is displayed through suffering. And Paul makes this this request to the Ephesians, he says in verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You know, at this point, Paul is in, in prison. He'll actually write, he writes to the, the Philippians, and he says that he doesn't know whether he's going to be released or whether he's going to be killed and taken home to glory. And, but Paul tells him, he says, I, I ask you, Ephesians, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you because it has a purpose, which is your glory. And I want you to understand that suffering is, is part of, of the plan. And in this, the wisdom of God is, is revealed. There's some people who, out there who will who actually preach and teach that, that Christians will should and will not ever suffer. That, that we can have the perfect life now. But our Savior suffered, didn't he? First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, speaking of, of Christians who are suffering, he says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Peter believed that we would suffer. Peter believed that we would suffer in, in some way. And, and when you survey the Bible, you see Christians and Old Testament saints suffering. I mean, you think of Job who suffered. But in the end, he says, now I know you. <laughs> now I know you. There was a purpose in his suffering. We see it in David who who writes in, in the Psalms of, of the, the struggles and the, the hardships that he's going through. In fact, in, in Psalm 22, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Do you ever feel like that? I cry to you day and night, but, but I find no rest. We know that God had not forsaken David. But, but those trials that he went with drew him to God. We see it in the life of Joseph, who, who, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, thrown into prison by Potiphar. But in the end, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he would, he would tell his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God was working God uses 
suffering for his purposes. God overrules through his sovereignty and care. And he ensures that even through difficulties, even through trials, good comes out of it. You know, as I survey my, my life as a, as a Christian, I look back at some of the most amazing moments in my life as a Christian have been, have been suffering. I've gone through suffering, and, and, I, and I've experienced these things. And it's during those times that I've, I've poured out my heart to God that I've, I've sought Him and I drew near to Him. And there was a time of, of great growth that, that, that God was, was molding me into the, the image of Christ. And, and I see that growth, and I look back today and I say, I'm so grateful for, for all those things that I went through. I have no regrets, and I wouldn't want it any other way. And when we look back at our lives, that's what we should see. We should... We should rejoice in our, in our sufferings, knowing that God has a purpose in it. We all love Romans 8, 28, because it contains some of the most comforting words of those who endure hardship and suffering. He says this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that his purpose was to to change us in, into the image of Christ. But in, his, in God's providence, he uses every event in our lives, even suffering and, and temptation and sin, to accomplish good, both in this life but also in the life to come. We, we read that back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And we have all experienced these trials, and Paul is saying here that it is the way that God's plan unfolds, the way that God accomplishes his purpose, which is his wisdom, is, is through suffering. And Paul is saying, and the Spirit is saying, I ask you not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. God hasn't abandoned you. God hasn't abandoned his purpose. And we see the ultimate example of that by sending his son who suffered. You know, who was beaten, who was mocked, who was scorned, who was crucified. You know, Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And that is what Christ did. He suffered for you, for your glory. Let me finish with this. This is a quote from John Piper. John Piper says this, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh to suffer and die, and by that suffering and death, to save undeserving sinners like you and me. This coming to suffer and die is the supreme manifestation of the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. He goes on, he says, there could be no greater display of the glory of the grace of God than what happened at Calvary. We've seen that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through Christ, his, his person and his, his work. We've seen that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the church as we live out the gospel in, in community with one another. 
We've seen that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through prayer as we, as we draw near to God with boldness, casting our cares on Him, expressing our faith. And we've seen that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through suffering. Not only the sufferings of Christ, not only Paul's suffering as he's in prison, but our suffering as he works out his eternal purpose through us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your manifold wisdom. We thank you for the unsearchable riches of Christ, or we can never mine the depths of these truths. But Lord, let us trust you and let us seek you. Let us honor you and let us follow you. Lord, we thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.